This is The Other 14 Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of The Other 14 Podcast, the only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. It was a game week where some of the football was pretty ugly, but at this stage of the season, the only thing that matters is points. And once again, another absolutely criminal performance from the referees at Stockley Park, which, unsurprisingly, um, to the detriment of another 14 team. Lock them up. (laughs) This week, as always, we're joined by Tom. Hello. Hello. Hello, Dom Tom. Tom, I just want to take these first couple of um, seconds of the podcast to reflect on uh, runs. Obviously, we're up to 28 podcasts now, which obviously it means we are on a run that is better than the likes of Hendrix, Winehouse and Cobain. But I suppose one of the big (laughs) runs of the weekend that came to an end was Ivan Tony and his run of penalties. Oh, I will put it akin to the Undertaker's streak at WrestleMania. It was that big. It was. I can't remember how many exactly it was, but we covered it the other. Um, we covered it before the World Cup, I believe. Um, well into the twenties in a stats corner, and he was well into his twenties of penalties scored, and without fault, absolutely every single time that kind of one two step run up, just pinging them in. But this week, against Newcastle, against Nick Pope, it just proved to be one penalty too much. Yeah, apparently. He, he, um, what was it? So he's, yeah, he's, his technique is very much to sort of wait until the keeper moves and then just stick it where he ain't sort of thing. Um, and the thing that Nick Pope sort of did that all the other keepers before him didn't do um, was that he didn't move. He was brave so enough was to like, stay still. So Tony was like, oh, now what? <laughs> Well, I think the thing is, Tony didn't make great connection. He kind of tracked no. it a little bit and just it, got it, it very, anything, just a bit very heavy. close to the keeper. So, and, um, yeah. yeah, it was quite. He did, did, but... did make amends. Eventually. Yeah, there was redemption not long after, but no. it's one of those that we were looking at that streak, wondering when it would end, thinking it could almost go on indefinitely with the way that he did it, like the confidence. Um, yeah, you, but you no, thought we'd go into like the Tizio sort of level. It would have but... been nice, I suppose. The one question is, what odds would you have got for Tony to miss a penalty? Because, <laughs> oh. actually, let's go over to Ivan Tony now with the latest odds. Ivan. <laughs> yeah. Um, it Obviously disappointing that for Brentford that at home, well, they have been really good this season. Obviously, Newcastle are in a hot run of form. That's uh, two wins on the bounce now. Well, two away wins on the bounce having uh, them having absolutely hammered West Ham at the London Stadium 5-1 midweek. Um, so they're on really hot form. Callum Wilson, absolutely on it um, as well. He's back in the goals after a little bit of a break. So, yeah, great to see uh, Newcastle kind of fi- refinding that form. They beat New- they beat Man U, they beat West Ham, they've now gone and beat Brentford. So um, I suppose the challenge, and we'll probably talk about it later, is that they do have... Uh, their next game is an away game at Villa Park, which I think will be an absolutely spicy one this weekend. Yeah, so tough. Um, but anyway, before we go on to anything else, over to you, Tom, with the classified results for the game week. 
Um, I also want to just mention a little bit of breaking news that, but this is just edit edit this out. Um, Leicester are in talks with Dean Smith. And here are the classified results for match week 28 of the Premier League 22-23 season. 2. Everton, nil. Aston Villa, 2. Nottingham Forest, nil. Brentford, 1. Newcastle United, 2. Fulham, nil. West Ham United, 1. Leicester City, nil. AFC Bournemouth, 1. 2. Outrageous. Brighton have Albion, 1. Wolverhampton Wanderers, 1. Nil. Southampton won. Four. Leeds United won. Crystal Palace, five. Well, there's certainly some big talking points in those fixtures. Um, I suppose the one we should really go on to straight away and immediately, Tom. But I because it gets so frustrating, we're not going to go on for it too long. But Tottenham Hotspur Stadium... Brighton went there looking absolutely phenomenal. Obviously conceded the early goal to Son Heung-min. But then they they looked good goals so conceded, good. to be fair. Yeah, what, oh, oh, it was a quality finish. Yeah. But they looked so good going forward. Like they've looked all season. Like they have looked all season. And they're absolutely robbed by what? Yeah. Three penalty uh, three VAR decisions. So it was obviously Matoma's handball for the goal, which was the early disallowed equ- equaliser. Mm-hmm. Um which um it's not handball. No. Uh, I mean it's sort of it's I, I, well again, it is it, it's, it's, it's really frustrated. It's but... on that area where they go off oh, it's above or the below the sleeve but also what they felt like even if it was slightly below that line, he was pushed in the back into the ball yeah. So in it, it's one of those that going well. Okay, he's j- controlled it with that bit of his body because he's being fouled. So yeah. give the penalty I, or I, give the I, goal I here. Don't get how professional referees just can't see that. Uh, it's madness. Um, they look at that freeze frame and don't look at like it, it seems like they don't look at the couple of seconds leading up to it where he's clearly pushed towards the ball yeah. in a way that would be a foul. Um, um, so that was disgusting. Matoma gets fouled in the box. Penalty's not given. Yeah, Hoiberg, absolute like blatant, blatant foul. Yeah, hundred percent. And I can't remember what the other one was. Um, well, Danny Welbeck had a goal disallowed, and apparently there's oh, a for a McAllister handball, wasn't it? Was that yes. was that it? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Um, but I think that was less kind of less of a travesty compared to the others. But no, but I, I think like that, especially that first one. Like literally, everyone was saying as the game was sort of playing out, it's like I don't get how how. The fact he's gone to VAR and you're looking at it in slow-mo, you can see clearly where the ball has hit Matoma. Why that's just not given. Um kind of high on the left of his arm. Uh, yeah. High up on his left arm. Um, but they Brighton win the ball brilliantly in midfield. It then gets lofted over by I think it's McAllister, and I think it's Romero running in behind him who gives him that nudge. And but yeah. it's the li- in all fairness, the linesman gives it in the first instance, but when when you then show that and it's gone to VAR, what I don't get is that the referee hasn't gone and looked at it on the monitor. Yeah, it's entirely been made at Stockley Park. Yeah, um, which seems absolutely wrong. Um, obviously, they then did bite back with that fantastic Lewis Dunk header, which was brilliant. They let Spurs left him completely unmarked. They yeah. look like a, a team without a proper manager in place. Um, 
And then Danny Welbeck scores to which would have well if all, everything else had gone it for um gone for them yeah would have, they would have I mean, been three one up at this point yeah I mean it was a fast game to begin with anyway I mean the managers yeah. are having sort of talks before the game has even started yeah and it was then that moment that Danny Welbeck because it it glances off of. Uh, McAllister, like he's tucks in, he moves out the way, and it maybe like just glances his forearm, yeah. kind of elbow. I, I, by, I don't get why the smallest amount. And the thing is, Laurie absolutely mucks it up, and it like just goes underneath him. But if yeah. anything, the deflection would have pushed it further away from him. I think either way, it's it's mad that that was given. But bear in mind, Brighton went to New Shite Hart Lane, had seventeen shots to Spurs's nine. So it just goes to show the attitude that they take to these games. Yeah. Play without fear. They're a team that wants to push for those European spots. And yeah. yes, they're currently still sitting in a European spot and they've got a couple of games in hand on the teams around them. Yeah. But it's that sort of kind of deflating result that seems absolutely just... Well, I think what's probably most frustrating for Brighton fans is this isn't the first time they've been screwed by this sort of decision. No. And, um... and bloody Webb's going to be well, yeah, writing he's, he's... to them again. He's Which... come out and the um, the PGOMOL um, has basically stated that there, there was a mistake made um, in the game between Tottenham and Brighton on Saturday where the penalty against Matoma should have been given. Um, statement uh, says, Howard Webb's chief uh, refereeing officer for the PGOMOL has apologised to Brighton and held talks with them about the decision-making process in the game. It is the third apology the club has been given this season for decisions <laughs> made on the field. Of which you kind of... <laughs> I think how good is an apology get... though? You, what, yeah, what, it... what 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 use is that? Exactly. When how much money do you get for going into various stages of Europe and winning? Um, like even if you go into like conference league, yeah. for example, you still get winnings for like winning your group and winning each game. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that pe- that apology isn't worth the paper it's written on it, because no, exactly. it means nothing ultimately. As a fan, right. as a player, as a manager. What what does that oh oh well done lads um, we've had a really good season we finished eighth one point out of the European positions but yeah. we've got these three letters from PGMOL let's put those on the wall to celebrate it's yeah exactly that 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 the bit that's better than the fair play league isn't it that's exactly yeah well maybe that's what they should do where they used to give uh, depending on cup results they used to give a European position uh, to <laughs> to fair play maybe, may, may, maybe you do give a European place to the team that gets <laughs> absolutely mm. rinsed by VAR in a season yeah absolutely um, because it's it's just stupid isn't it i don't i i don't get it it makes it's no laughable. sense to me and it's more the fact that for particularly the matoma handball you have the linesman spot it which in all fairness from that distance it, it you you can't necessarily tell it then goes to someone with some screens and there's a couple of people that will look at it in stockley park i assume yep. And then the fact that they could have gone to the ref and gone, ref, have a look at it. So they could have had effectively three stages of decision-making process. And they went, oh, we'll stop at two and get the wrong result. Um, yeah, exactly. So the, the, penalty, the, um... the penalty I don't get, though. They're like no. It's such a blatant foul from um, Hoiberg. And yeah. well, that wasn't, it yeah. didn't seem to be looked at at all. That That is the one that the PGMR are apologising for. It was that instance of, the, the penalty not being given. Um, and like you said, the footage was looked at so quickly by VAR that they've not even sort of... thing is, that is the most black and white decision out of all of them. Because yeah. the Matoma handball, for all us, will go, that's not handball. But it is the what that is... It's a, a fairly, bit of a grey. That's a fairly grey area. The yeah. same with the Danny Welbeck goal. It takes the slightest of nicks off of um, 
um, McAllister's arm, so you can go, yeah. okay, maybe slightly. But the Matoma one's so blatant that I guess exactly. they're apologising for that quickly because that's the one that makes most sense to apologise for. So the two other incidents that Brighton have been apologised for um, by the PGMOL this season, um, the last one prior to the Hoiberg um, incident was... Um, Fabinho not being sent off in the FA Cup game ultimately that didn't affect them that much because they are still in the FA Cup as it stands the other one um, was where Estupinen had a goal incorrectly disallowed in the um, draw with Palace earlier in the season when VAR drew the offside lines in the wrong place <laughs> it's really hard to the draw straight, straight lines I mean all you need is a ruler lads come on um, well, I... so that these two drop points in that one and then potentially if you're sort of Let's in just the, say, for in example, this game, they, they could have been three one up, and Spurs aren't going to. It could have been three points, so that's potentially five points dropped purely because of AR. And if they had five, an additional five points now, they would be that would move them ahead of um, that would move them ahead of Villa, and put them two points behind Spurs with two games in hand for exactly. that fifth spot, exactly. which is it's disgraceful. Anyway, enough before we get too wound up because it's yep. just sheer incompetence. It's a bank um, holiday. Uh, it is a bank holiday. What a great time to be alive. Yep. Okay, um, I think now more than anything, there's just uh, looking at the results around um, around the league. There's not really any big talking point, but I think we want to just dip and dive into a couple of a uh, couple of ongoings at clubs. What's yeah, happening? Generalizations. So I think the first thing I want to talk about is um, um, only briefly, Crystal Palace, um, absolutely phenomenal result, five one away at Elland Road. Is Roy magic or could Patrick have pulled this out of his hat? Um, there's no, yeah, Patrick could have done this for sure. I, I still think there's a little bit of tinkling that, that Roy might have done. Um, yeah, I, I just I, to I sort of steady the ship I because think... their attacking play over the last sort of couple of weeks from where they were prior, where they, you know, in three games without even registering a shot on target. So then having, what was it I wrote down here? 31 shots against Leicester last week um, <laughs> and then five goals against Leeds this week. Yeah, like they, something that was, has clicked. That's five goals from 16 shots with only eight being on target. Like, exactly. They're great opportunity. Their XG good, must have been pretty job, solid Marie. for that. Um, I don't think it's all hit. Looking at the, it wasn't no. all him. It was all no. a bit pet. And that's what Leeds um, fans are saying. But... And I think looking at Palace, so their next week uh, fixture is an away game at um away game at Southampton. If they win that, that puts them on 36 points. Are they safe? Bearing in mind everyone else in the re- in that kind of bottom nine, no one's playing each other. They're the only two teams in the bottom nine playing each other um in the game week coming up. So I don't think 36 points will be enough. You don't think 36 points keeps a team up? See I, I do. I... I think I, looking at the table, I don't bear in mind Forest, let's say Forest are in 18th place. They've won six games all season. I don't I, see them winning. I don't see them will, getting nine more okay. points. It, I'll, I'll phrase it. If, I think, it, okay, it will probably be enough, but it will be not enough for it to be sort of comfortable. Okay. That's fair. Um, I, I still think even if they win against Southampton, they'll probably need at least maybe one more win. Well, their next, oh. their foot. The game after that is at home to Everton, so they've probably they've probably got that wrapped up. Well, I mean, this is 
this is where sort of the decision the just becomes was... more baffling. Yeah, because they've got obviously gone and beat Leicester quite yep. conclusively with the amount of efforts they dominated that game. They've absolutely rinsed Leeds. They're yep. they, now their following games are away to Southampton, home to Everton, away to Wolves, home to West Ham. Yeah, and you kind of think, well, if if it was a case of they needed three wins out of those six games, Patrick could have done that. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I, I have no, I have no doubt. Instead, I think they've kind of put a dent in a very possibly like a, a young manager's career. They've put a bit yeah. of a dent in that. By they just soured it a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, the third place to Roy is just you know not got in with too much fanfare and just. He's just been ever ever the professional about it and just got on with business and you know, now two wins out of two. Whether or not, you know, Vieira could have done the same is, you know, yeah. to be sort of debated. But I, I think Palace I, I it's said, quite the turnaround in just they've gone yeah. from the team that can't take any shots. And this is what it seemed to when we talked about Vieira being sacked, is that their instruction to the team should just be like, have a go. Yes, yeah. clearly that was that was something going wrong. And look, they do have the talent in that forward line, and it's worked amazingly. They've scored seven in two games. Yeah, I mean, I I said when Roy came in that I he will be someone to steady the ship, and I think ultimately they'll be safe. But all the anger should be sort of planted towards those who make the decisions in the first place. Yeah. Um, and I I think yeah, Palace will probably end up being safe now. They look like the most likely ones to sort of break away from that bottom nine, um, if anything. But yeah, we keep absolutely. saying sort of throughout the season that if, you know, you, you win two games on the bounce and you look as though you might be pulling away, but then who knows what happens next week because this oh, race has been so unpredictable. If Palace go down at this point, I'm going to eat my microphone. Yeah. Um, um, you, you, heard, you heard that here first. Um, um, I think on the other side of that coin of that Palace result, Leeds, Javi Gracia came in. Every like Leeds fans were really positive about that appointment, and then once again, it's just gone a little bit jittery and slowed down. And yeah, I mean, like they're in for a real tough run between now and it, the end of the season. It is going to be uncomfortable over the next couple of weeks for Leeds fans. I, I can pretty much guarantee that. Um, they, they, the thing with Leeds is they just can't stop conceding goals. They love it, don't they? They do like to concede goals and. Like we talk about how close this relegation battle is going to be um, over the last sort of coming weeks just, and how just, it sort of builds just for up. Just context, they've conceded fifty-four goals, which is um, that's the same amount. Well, it's the joint second worst in the league. The only team yep. that have conceded more is Bournemouth. But you got to remember, nine of those were again <laughs> one game. Yeah, at exactly. Anfield. That's that's quite heavily skewed. Um, so yeah, season after season, Leeds have been poor defensively, and I, I think if they are to stay up, there needs to be some serious question marks about how they set up defensively going forward. Um, but sounds a little since, bit like an oxymoron. So, so, well, but... but the thing is, once they once they bought in Javi Gracia, you would have thought that one of his approaches would be to stop them conceding. But they conceded five against Palace. Um, couldn't keep the clean sheet at home to Forest last week. Yeah, he conceded four away at the Emirates. Um, two away at Wolves, even though they won that game. Two against Brighton. They're like the last time they kept a clean sheet was at home to Southampton on the twenty fifth of February, and that's an awful Southampton side. Yeah. Um. So sort of going um to my original point was the fact that you know we talk about how close this relegation fight is going to be. 
this could end up going down to goal difference. Mm. And they've not helped themselves. No. I think like, my concern... Getting hammering is going to be yeah. absolutely atrocious for them. I think my concern for Leeds is they're two points clear of the relegation zone, which means nothing at this point. No. But of their remaining eight fixtures, they're only playing three of the bottom nine. They've still got to go to the Etihad. They've got to have Liverpool. They've got Liverpool at home, which Liverpool which away from bit, home aren't great. Yeah, but that's a bit. That fixture kind of is a bit weird. Yeah, but then they're welcoming Newcastle, and then on the final oh. game, final game of the season, they're welcoming Spurs, who at that point could be in a European battle or could be on the beach. But otherwise, their kind of fixtures that they've got to look at are based on Fulham's current form away at Craven Cottage, then home to Leicester, away at Bournemouth, and away at West Ham. They're kind of their four big fixtures that if they get something from those, yeah. then they'll be fine. But given how much they concede is going to like, I, I would be, I think there's, if I was a fan of any team, Leeds wouldn't be one of my two I'm most worried about. They're definitely creeping in as my, the team that I'm like third most worried about for their safety. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we're thinking about you, Leeds fans. We'll be careful for your safety. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah. Like typically, when the sort of like new managers sort of come in, that that first thing that they want to do is sort of short things up at the back. And you sort of work work from the back forwards. So you want to keep the clean sheets, and then you want to work about picking up well, points. It's, it, it, obviously That's, with mixed results so far, but it's what yeah. Dyche has done at Everton. They've yeah. got six points from their last five. It's a relegation survival one hundred and one. That's what you do yeah. as a new manager coming in during the season. Everton are great at winning one 0 at the moment, or just like they don't. I haven't really conceded many, and they're also not losing many under Dice. And they they're competitive. Yeah, and it'll be enough. That will be enough of a tactic to kind of yeah. see them slowly edge their way out. They're not going to do like a Palace and go and win a couple of games on the bounce and shoot no. off the table, but they will be able to kind of fend off the rising tide. Um, well, speaking of management at Leeds, Jesse Marsh was uh, in discussions with managerless Leicester this week, but uh, discussions broke down as they did when he was in con- uh, in discussion with Southampton as well. Um, yep. Once again, over length of contract and various other issues. So, obviously, Jesse Marsh not made an immediate turn to the Premier League. If I was a Leicester fan, I wouldn't be wowed by that appointment. Um, but once again, we spoke about last week about how it's weird timing for to sack Brendan Rodgers. And I'm still a bit confused by it, but that has it means that they still don't have a replacement in. They've played two games without like a permanent manager. They've lost both of those games. They're now very much still in the relegation zone. Even if they win, that only would just get them out, depending on the results away. But looking at their fixtures or looking at their games that they have played without Brendan Rogers, um like my only comments are no idea and no identity. It yeah. just looks like they just need someone in to kind of give them something to do. Well, at the moment, like they do have good players, but they just don't know, like they good, know good how to kick a ball. Absolutely feed the opposition with a tremendous back pass. Yeah, it is kind of brutal that they lost one nil this weekend to Bournemouth. <laughs> Down to a James Madison backfire. And we talk about James Madison being an assist maker, but that was particularly... Wrong end, James. Wrong end. Oh, it was... Yeah, it's not great. Um, It's the sort of thing that you don't need when you're at that end of the table. 
No. Especially when you're one of the kind of high-profile players that is always going to be linked to moves away. Yeah. Particularly if you look at like his age, his talent, he'll be one of the first players out the door because other teams will be interested. He's so an when, international. So. Yeah, when, when you're that player and you do that, make that mistake, it yeah. kind of really compounds it. Um, so yeah. I do. You, feel... you can just sort of sense in the atmosphere around the King Power that there's just there's an air of nervousness and just sort of trepidation. Like, um, with the next coming up a couple of weeks, they are starting to get on the backs of these players now as well. It wasn't, is, it's not just Brendan now because he's obviously now gone, but yeah. they are starting to get on the back of these players. But what's mad to me is this is the team that won the Premier League. Admittedly, well, it's not the same. It's not the same side. No, but no, but it it's like that. Okay, they only won the FA Cup like two seasons ago with yeah. a lot of the same players. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, yeah, right. It's absolutely mad to see this fall. Like having watched, obviously, with a keen eye on West Ham this season being so bad and like that fall from the last two seasons to this yeah Leicester have kind of kind of just gone hold on lads let me show you how to really capitulate and fall it's, and it's a it's a hold my beer moment it is a real hold my beer moment because like West Ham yeah. fans obviously upset with West Ham performances the play the play isn't good um they scraped um scraped through with a win this week against a poor Fulham but you kind of do look at Leicester and go we wanted to be you. <laughs> we're like Leicester at that time, like a couple of seasons ago, were held up as that team yep. challenging the top six, <laughs> the team that is well yep. run, and then they've gone and sat the their manager for everyone else to follow. Yeah, and done yep. bad transfer business that everyone's yep. kind of gone. Oh well, I don't, I don't want to do a Leicester anymore. Clearly, that doesn't work. <laughs> um, or it just goes to show how volatile the fine margins are in this game, and all it takes is a bad little run, and it all goes yeah. very poor. Um, I think one of the things we have to sort of do, I, I think it has been quite a competitive league this year. Um, and there was always the sense that potentially one surprise name could end up going down. Um, I'm not saying that league, I'm not saying that Leicester are sort of nailed on to go down at this point, but the performance at the weekend doesn't help their sort of situation at all. No, not at all. Um, and that's three losses on the bounce for them now with a fixture um, against away at the Etihad coming up. So I'm guessing it might become four four losses in a row, which really spells danger for them. Um, But then the fixtures all this game week um, are quite interesting. Um, But you said just before before the show, there might have been some headway in the appointment of a manager at the King Power. Yep, news from uh, Sky Sports um, is that Leicester City are in negotiations with former Aston Villa and Norwich manager Dean Smith over a short-term deal to try to save the club from relegation. So obviously they had discussions with Jesse March. That didn't progress to any sort of situation because like you said, he's looking for a longer-term contract. Um, Smith uh, was sat as Norwich boss in December, so he's been out of a job ever since then. He's going to be looking in potentially um, as a short-term sort of cover for these sort of last, however, what, eight, eight, nine games. Um to see Leicester potentially through to the end of the season, either in the Premier League or relegated down to the Championship. I think that is a really uninspiring appointment. And if you're a, I know that they well, need, I know they need something. They, they need know something. They need someone. But it's someone Dean Smith. Experience. The last time he, yeah. yeah not you're, fantastic you're, 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 Premier League experience. I was going to say, you're not wrong. He's got Premier League experience. But tell me how his last campaign in the Premier League went. He got sacked by Villa because they weren't very good. 
replaced by Steven Gerrard, who was even worse. And yep. then he went to Norwich and got, admittedly, it's Norwich. I mean, Dean Smith does have some credentials. He did take Villa to a car, to a League Cup final, um, as well as sort of, pretend, obviously, uh, overseeing the 7-2 demolition of Liverpool back a couple of seasons ago. So he's got some clout behind him. If if you're a Leicester fan, do you think you're in a better place with Dean Smith than Brendan Rodgers? No. Admittedly, that, that I, I I don't think so. No. Um, Ultimately, but uh, but at this just, point, at this yeah. point, they do need someone. They need someone uh, to try point, and add some shape and to and the team. The options that are out there right now, um, there was sort of tal- potential that they were going to go for Grand Potter, but the word that I was sort of hearing was that they viewed Grand Potter's success at Brighton, obviously not Chelsea, um, as more to do with those who were sort of surrounding Graham as opposed to him himself doing so, that. I think that's something that's kind of shared around football as well, because mm. when there's rumours about Moyes even not, well, either before the end of the season or at the end of the season getting removed, apparently Potter wouldn't be West Ham's number one choice. And because of that, yeah. because that it's deemed that his backroom staff were so vital to his success, yeah, which I don't think is strictly just the truth, but... No. I, do, I, well, I, I think I, I, think, I, I think get... slightly unfair on, on Potter, yeah. but he, he needs to sort of go out and sort of work his, um, mm. try and do a, a David Moyes and try and reinvigorate his sort of reputation a little bit. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, the, yeah. I think the only bit of managerial gossip that I do want to kind of touch on is, uh, firstly, I'd like to say I made a mistake last week. Um, last week, I turned around and I said West Ham were the only team who hadn't replaced their manager in the bottom nine. That isn't correct because Forrest are oh, still, they've still got Steve Cooper as their boss. Um, and so they haven't sacked him yet. For but, now. Well, at the start of the week, there were rumours that he was about to get sacked. Um, but then. Well, I mean, um, all the outlets were basically saying it. Yeah. And then Marinakis, or Marinakis came out with this statement. Um, no one denies that our club is in a difficult position in the Premier League, but we wish to end the speculation and the false and disruptive reporting in the media to confirm that Steve Cooper remains our manager at Nottingham Forest. We all have been disappointed with recent performances and it is clear that a lot of hard work needs to be done to address this urgently. Results and performances must improve immediately. Um, so, Tom, they um, Steve Cooper... Re- rewarded that faith with a loss away at Villa Park. And then um, I think their next couple of fixtures are a bit ugly. So Steve Cooper to be gone by the end of April? I don't think you'd put it past uh, past that, would you? I, with this I, I sort of think... statement, it almost always feels imminent, doesn't it? That Whenever some, you know, whenever the owners makes the sort of statement backing the manager after a sort of, you know, rumours surrounding his future, there's always that, well, give it maybe a game or two and then he's gone. The um, the line for me is results must improve imminently. Well, that obviously hasn't happened. Exactly. And their next games are home to Man U, away to Liverpool, home to Brighton, away at Brentford. Admittedly, they're I think they're down regardless because the only two teams from yeah. the bottom nine they're playing are Southampton and Palace. But other mm. than that, they've still got to play Man U, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Brentford and Brighton. 
Yeah, that's a, I, that's I, a rotten run, and I, the way they're playing, another team that you look at and you go, they've got no identity, no system, no way of playing. They they're so hodgepodge together, and well, they've not had that all season. Um, they've managed, yeah, they've not had that all season. Uh, I think, but they were grinding out some results. They were grinding out some results, but that that grinding seems to have stopped. You know, they're just starting to to lose more cons- on a consistent basis now. Um, they're not scrapping up those points. They're fine. Like so, they I think the, the key thing in Steve Cooper's favor, yeah. Sorry, the, 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 the sort of key thing in Steve Cooper's favor is the fact that he still has a little bit of backing from the fans. I think they're still very much behind him. It seems. I, I think they recognise that he's been dealt a bit of a tough hand with the way the squad yeah. was assembled, but that still doesn't change whether they'll survive or not. And I think, I think there's a chance that. No matter how good that home crowd is, their home games this for the rest of the season are home to Man U, home to Brighton, home to Southampton, home to Arsenal. They might get what four, four to six points out of those. You'd maybe reckon, and based on their away form, I just don't see them getting any results from those away games because they've got to go to Anfield, got to go to Brentford, got to go to Chelsea, and then got to go to Selhurst. You kind of look at those fixtures. It's not a great run, is it? You look at Forest and you say they're currently on 27 points. I don't think they get more than 35, which suddenly means that a lot yeah, of teams... Yeah, if, if we're saying 36, it's potentially the safe point. Then... I just... Yeah, eight more points from eight fixtures. Bear in mind, they're already, they've been going at less than a point a game this season. Um I just think there's a strong chance that... I think if, yeah. spot, given the fixtures that they've got left... I think this bottom three could be the bottom three that it ends up with, and that I do. All, I do tend to agree with you on that point because all the teams above have been picking up some points. Everton, yeah, Dice has made Everton that bit more solid. Got got those draws. Got a couple of wins. Leeds pick up the odd scrappy <laughs> win and the odd surprise win when they go and beat like the likes of Chelsea, Bournemouth just. They just win games weirdly 1 0. So they were absolutely, they never win. They, they're, they're doing magic stuff. But they don't Gary win back to back. They never win back to back games. Just look at their form. They won, no. lost one, lost one. They've not won get back to back all season. Um, and then you just kind of think that the likes of West Ham and Wolves maybe just have that little bit more in their squad and Palace have the fixtures yeah. on their side. So that yeah. bottom three. It would take a bit of a triumph. I, I tend to agree. It would be the a bit only... of a triumph and effort for any for one of them to get out unless they pull off some magic. Yeah, the only team that I could see potentially sort of dipping in there at the moment is Leeds. But yeah, I agree um, with you there. I, I think it does it do, it does seem to be that bottom three. Um and I do but, t- yeah, I do tend to agree with you there. Because I think out of those three teams, the way they're all currently playing, Forrest and maybe playing the f- slightly the best, but they do have the worst fixtures. Leicester, if they get Dean Smith, that and even then they don't have great. It's they, an unknown. They still got to play City. They still got to play Liverpool. They do have a fair amount of games of the teams around them, so they still do have to play Wolves, Leeds, Everton, and West Ham. Yeah, and also given Fulham's form, so there are five games that they yeah. can get points from there, which is much better than Forest run. What I think could be interesting is it could be. Leicester's final home game of the season against West Ham. If West Ham are safe, then 
it'll be interesting to see what how that game would play out with the prospect of if Leicester win, they could stay up. I like Leicester, so yeah. I wouldn't be upset if West Ham threw that fixture, which I know is complete, like, is not an opinion many fans would say, being like, you'd happy it's, for your no, team to lose a game. It's not, it's not the done thing. It, it might it might be a thing done in, like, America because of, like, the oh, graph basis from that they I'm, have, I'm, but you don't, I'm, throw, I'm you don't gonna throw, say, throw games. I'm going to sound like a real dick here. <laughs> if, if West Ham lost... And that final game of the season, assuming they're safe, and that three points keeps Leicester up, and we say goodbye to either Everton or Leeds, I would see that as a win. Well, <laughs> Which I know, I know is brutal. Le- Leeds fans and Everton fans, please do write in. <laughs> I think I've just made a lot of enemies, but <laughs> you have made an incredible amount of that. You basically just like. Oh yeah, two of the two yeah, of the biggest teams but... in the other fourteen. But I don't know. I just think Everton. You just fans... yeah, turn the Ever... entire north oh, I, against I, the podcast. I really like Daesh, so I don't think Everton will go down. Um, I just think a lot of Everton fans are far too gobby, <laughs> and Leeds fans. I think um, I think if they get relegated, it um, it's their own fault for not investing in Bielsa ball long term because Bielsa could have kept them up last season. And I think they would have had a better chance staying up this season had he started as their manager. Um, instead, they went to Marsh and it's all been quite poor. So we'll wait and okay. see on that one. Okay. We'll wait and see the pitchforks that come. <laughs> Absolutely flying. So, Tom, last week we started our look at the other 14 candidates for the Premier League Hall of Fame. Um, last week we covered players which saw us add to the Hall of Fame a Mr. Gary Speed, a Mr. Gareth Barry, a Kevin Phillips, a Paolo Di Canio, a Jamie Vardy, and a Mark Schwarzer. But this mm-hmm. week, we are going to look instead at what managers deserve to go into the Premier League Hall of Fame. So I've got a list of yeah. three. and I have a list of three as well. That is very convenient. Um, I'm sure there's a chance there might be one or two that we share. Yeah, um, I don't think more a, likely on. on I don't think there's a chance that you have one of mine, but we'll, uh, but it's the most wild card out of all my picks. So I'm going to let you go okay. first okay. with your first manager selection for the Hall of Fame. So my number one pick would be. The man who orchestrated the miracle of 2015-16. Snap! It, it has to be Claudio Ranieri. I don't, I don't think no one would put it um, put it against us um, for including him to the Hall of Fame. He doesn't have a, like, a massive presence in Premier League history. Um, you know, had a, a bit part spell at, at Chelsea for a couple of years just before Abramovich sort of came in. You say bit part um, play, um, bit part spell. He did get Chelsea to like second or third in the league the season before the Abramovich money came in and um, Jose got oh, he, made manager. He, he did no, a very 100%. good job. With he, he hadn't played well. He did a good job. Um, ultimately, it was the tinkering, hence the, the, the nickname Tinkerman that he, he got, um, that led to some part of his downfall. And then ultimately, the money of Abramovich, where you know he wanted to put his own sort of sp- uh, spin on things. Um, and then one thing that I did get reminded of was that he did. Um, have a spell at Fulham, which I completely forgot about. I knew it was at Watford last season um, to try and keep them up, but I completely forgot it was at Fulham. Was that post Leicester? 
I yeah. think it was post Leicester. Yeah, yeah, I, re- um, I remember that. He once again he got bought in for a couple of games and it didn't go. Was to... it after um, after Ikanovic got sacked? You know what? With Fulham managers, I'm awful with timeline because they have so bloody many of them, or used to. They've obviously stable, yeah. stabilized I mean, a lot under the previous Marco manager. Could, could he very well have been Felix McGattall? I know, but <laughs> I was thinking Felix McGattall, Martin Yell. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think like one of the biggest ever achievements I think in the Premier League history has to be that Leicester title win back in 2015-16 and you can't inc- the story of the Premier League has to include that Leicester win you obviously had Jamie Vardy from uh, one of the players last year um last um last week um added to the Hall of Fame so I think the boss has to go in there as well so that is Claudio Ranieri so looking at that so I didn't know this because well the season before they won the league, Leicester just survived, didn't they? They went on that kind of final. Yeah, they went. Of they games. went on a mad run. Um, yeah, they went on like uh, what was it six or seven games unbeaten, something like that, which was under Nigel Pearson. Yeah. Well, Pearson then in the summer lost his job, and let's. Uh... Well, that was due to controversial circumstances. Well, by controversial, do you mean that he was sacked because his son, who was in the um, was in the academy, um, there's a video of him engaging in what was deemed as a racist sex tape. Is that the controversy that you're... Sorry, alleged racist sex that tape. Would... That, that would be the one, yes. Hmm. So he goes because of that. And then, I don't know, it's obviously a bit of magic where kind of, the right kind of ingredients somehow end up together. But it's Hollywood. Ranieri had just been sacked not that long before appointment by Greece for failure to yes. put out any good results together. And there's um it was described the appointment was described as baffling by uh, some of the newspapers or one in particular. And to be honest, you're not. I think even Gary Lineker criticised it. The thing is, if you're looking at that and you go, "Oh, we've just got rid of Nigel Pearson, who managed to put this run of games together," who are we going to bring in? Are we going to bring in a stable pair of hands with like Premier League experience, um, who is known for being able to keep a team fighting for survival? Which, in all fairness, you'd look at yeah. that Leicester team at the start of the season and go, "Their number one aim is to survive," and then they appoint Ranieri, yeah. who, as you say, the tinker man. But in offense, he then created a team that most weeks didn't really change. He it was fairly to... consistent. Yeah. Um, but looking at the players in that season, so the transfer window in, they brought in Christian Fuchs, Robert Huth, yep. Shinji Okazaki, yep. N'Golo Kante, and the other big one, Nathan Dyer on loan. You don't look at any of those. Oh, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty much five of those start. That, that was, yeah, yeah five that, of the starting 11 pretty much throughout yeah. the entire season. Which, considering Huth had been at Stoke and Stoke had kind of become a bit of that, oh, we'll just stay up team. Um, yeah. Kante and Okazaki were pretty much bought from nowhere. And so was Christian Fuchs. I think he was playing in Germany at the time, maybe. And then Nathan oh, the Dyer. In Austria, I think. Yeah, yeah, and then Nathan Dyer had been playing at um, Swansea, I believe. He was at Swansea at that point yep. before he got that move on loan. And he somehow turns this team of just survivors into Premier League champions. The 5,000 to 1 outsiders. The, the best, uh, one of the favourites is when they just qualify for the Champions League. They find, they've mathematically made it. 
and yeah. all the press just want to talk to him about possibly still pushing for the title. And it's that yeah. famous dilly ding dilly dong. We're in the Champions League, which is absolutely... Dilly ding dilly dong, wake up, wake up. Exactly. And then the other thing that I think is maybe the single-handedly the best bit of management ever and coaching. He managed to, or someone there, managed to turn Danny Drinkwater to look like prime Xavi. Because that was, like, he was elite. Danny Drinkwater that season. For some reason, just, like, he he drank, I think, you know, the film Space Jam, and it was uh, Michael yes. Jordan's special stuff. Yes. <laughs> he drank a bottle of that and just decided to become, like, prime Xavi. Yeah, and then since he went to Chelsea, his career kind of fell apart, and then he ended up at Reading, and I don't know where he is now, but he still got that season where he was the best central midfielder in Europe. And it's mad it, it that was that was a unbelievable. thing. Um, I mean, some of the strikes he was coming up with. I think he did... Um, did he end up with an England cap towards the back end of that season as well? He did. I think he got included in the Euros squad, but I don't... I think he did. Where we got knocked so, out so remind, Yeah. But yeah, I don't reminds think... Reminds me of being in the side. Mm. So, yeah, I think without a doubt, I agree with you, Ranieri, like... He has first, to be in there. First name in there. Like, yeah. like the, the biggest success that any other 14 manager has ever had... He has to Claudia. be in there. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, obviously, he hasn't had stints, as you say, with other clubs since, which haven't gone as well. But I think it's one of those that it was just magic. You can't really dissect how it all came to be. Yeah. Because none of it makes sense. But it all works. The stars just aligned. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't. You don't know how it happened. It just did. Yeah. Um. Um. He's now currently manager of Serie B team uh, Cagliari. Oh, nice for him. Good on. Yeah. Like, he had a fair. He was thing is he was manager at Juve at one point. Like, he's been around a bit. Um. That's what I think made it a bit of a. He's not had long spells at clubs that he's been at. No. But he's just he's been all over Europe. Yeah, and maybe that's the thing. He's he's the sort of manager you. Uh, I was about to say he's the sort of manager you'd want to bring in for like eight games, but actually no, because that didn't work out for Watford. Um, no, no. Um, anyway, um, I'm going to put forward my candidate. Is this your? This is. Of, I, I agree with Ranieri. Ranieri was one of my three. Okay. You can't ignore Claudio. So, this manager has managed. Bolton, Newcastle, Blackburn, West Ham, Sunderland, Crystal Palace, Everton, and West Brom. Is it Big Sam by any chance? It has got to be Big Sam. I don't think you tell. I I don't think you tell the the story of the Premier League without including Big Sam in there. He's borderline. Ever present, like what Premier League's yeah. been going for thirty seasons now. Yeah, Sam Allardyce has been. Bear in mind, he's not been in the Premier League since um, he went down. Twenty one. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's not been in the Premier League for a couple of seasons now, but he managed to. Well, firstly, he first came into the Premier League as Bolton manager. Yeah. Um, they were promoted in the through the playoffs in two thousand and one. Um, they then made the League Cup final. And they got through to the the UEFA Cup knockouts on two occasions, and that's with Bolton. Yeah, and he made that. Kind I mean, of, he did it like quite. He made quite that magic Bolton squad. Yeah, but KJ he made Kocher, that. Uh, Kevin JJ, Davies, Gary B, Kevin yeah. Nolan, like it was. Yaskalainen. And then, so he kept Bolton in the Premier League, 
six seasons. Yep. He kept new he was there for Newcastle one season, kept them up, kept Blackburn in the Premier League for three seasons, got promoted with West Ham through the playoffs and kept them in the Premier League for three seasons, and then kept Sunderland, Palace, and Everton all up and bought up in bought in as that saviour role. Yeah. The only team he didn't keep up was that West Brom side. Yeah, it was, it was that just that slight tinge, unfortunately, that sort of destroyed his record of never being relegated. But um, he has been I in think, the league but, for like 16 seasons. Yeah, he, is, that, he is a cornerstone of... Talk about managers and longevity. You've got Wenger, you've got Sir Alex, Moyes is one of the longest serving, yeah. and then Aladici is the other. Um, yeah. Drinking wine by the pints... Having a hundred percent England record, hundred percent England record, busting moves on a um, European dance floor. I yeah. don't know how you could, like chewing gum like it's going out of fashion, like a chain smoker, yeah. laughing at Chico Flores when he. Went was, down. I was just thinking of that incident. I'm it's just, a I great one the in West Ham Swansea where he goes down. Yeah. And Allardyce just laughs at him in the most comical way. And oh, the thing is, yeah, in the like. I, th- I kind of feel sorry for Sam, Big Sam. Wherever he's gone, he's never been number one choice and fans have never loved him on the whole. Bolton, yes, because of what he achieved with them. Yeah. And Blackburn for a little bit. But otherwise, Newcastle, the two never really fell in Didn't love want him. him. West Ham, he got us promoted, but after Didn't that... Didn't play the West Ham way. Whatever that is. Yeah. And then Sunderland, he'd been at Newcastle and it was there for survival. Palace, there for survival. Everton, there for survival. But he's all, uh, pretty much always, always done a great job. Yes, yeah, it's, not, necessarily, it's not necessarily pretty, but it works. Yeah, I mean, the amount of times that he has just pissed off the managers um, that you just sort of classes the elites, the likes of Mourinho, the likes of Klopp, just purely on the basis of how he plays his football. Oh, well, just, he, he took West Ham to um, West Ham play Chelsea. Mo Diame scored in a great goal in all fairness. And Jose came out afterwards moaning, going, oh, this is football from the 1800s. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, don't care, Jose. Like, I think that must have been the game where he's like, his post-match was like, oh, Jose can't take it. He can't take it. Yeah, I'm, I'll cut that in now. It, yeah. He can't take it. That's how I beat him. <laughs> but, uh, it's so good. Um, but other, like, speaking as a West Ham fan, because that's when I've seen him most, um, when... Um, another great result was where we went to White Hart Lane. Ravel Morrison. We didn't play with a striker, so we played with Ra- Ravel Morrison, similar in the Spain style with no striker and yeah, like the false and yeah, a false nine Ooh, at West yeah. Ham, and we went and beat Spurs like three. I never one. had Allardyce to play a false nine. Yeah, and then he got keyed. Um, he, he turned around and said, "Oh, if I was called Alabici, I would be so much more popular." Or something yeah, like that. I I just think he brings such charisma. Yeah, and is a character in the Premier League. Exactly. Characters, and you can't. And I think it was. Um, I think it was after. Um, I think it was after Newcastle had got rid of him. He'd kept them up, and I think Fergie writes about it in one of his books where he turned around and effectively calls Newcastle idiots for you don't get rid of a manager like Sam Allardyce. Yeah, and he has always done a good job wherever he goes, apart from West Brom. Um, and I, I just think he's such a character. He's the tapestry of the Premier League would have a massive space if you didn't have Big Stan filling it. Oh, 100%. And, you know, he, he should... Um, I, I think at some point I'd be very... I, 
I'd be very disappointed if I didn't see the likes of Big Sam ended up in this uh, Premier League Hall of Fame. They are trying, obviously, we mentioned this last week, that the Premier League are trying to sort of quickly sort of try and instill, get all the all the, the big names sort of out of the way. If at some point Big Sam doesn't get included in that, I just think it's an absolute travesty because, like I said, you just don't, you don't tell the story of the Premier League without including Big Sam in it. Yeah, he other than maybe like Moy, uh, and the, the only, that's the only other player that I can, uh, manager that I can think of at the moment. Other than Moyes, I can't think of really another prominent manager for all that time. Yeah. Other than a Premier League winner. Yeah. There just really no, isn't the one. No, there isn't. And um, I think well, if you look I, at all those, there is actually. Uh, I've got him included, but I'll we'll get okay, to we'll that go in on a minute. It. Yeah, but I, I think. He is the manager that, if you look at all the clubs he's been at, their most, not necessarily most successful, but the most stable time they ever had is when they've had Allardyce. Yeah. And I think that just goes to show the job that he does. If you want stability, you mm. bring in Allardyce. It might not be pretty, but it works, and I'm all for it. Pragmatic yeah. pragmatic football will keep you in the Premier League. Yeah, uh, and defensively, he will sort of shore up a bit of a of a shit early people. It will shore up a bit of a leaky ship. Absolutely. Um, which you know, there's you know sides that we've mentioned already so far this um, in this show that are conceding leaky goals. Um, the fact that his name is just not mentioned anymore, I think it's probably just. I think clubs are probably just said it's probably time to move on from him. Um, yeah, you, the thing is, you always think you might outgrow Allardyce, but I don't think somehow ever... he always ends up coming back. Oh. Yeah, you know, the likes of obviously um, Neil Warnock for Huddersfield just doesn't doesn't end up sort of leaving football because he loves the game so much. He's now well, taking Huddersfield out I, of the I relegation could... zone of the championship. And now Roy's come back to take Palace away from relegation trouble. The thing is, I could see next next January a team loses their manager and I think I think Big Sam might come back into fashion again. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise I would, me. I would love to see him back. Hate playing against Allardyce teams, but that's, same. Agreed. And Agreed. Th- that just goes to show what he can do. And yeah, um, yeah I would. He's a disruptor. He's a disruptor, and it's brilliant. So, Big yeah. Sam, you're getting my vote. Yeah, I, I, uh, I tend to agree with that. Uh, okay. I haven't included him on my list, but I, oh, I think it's a very, very good shout. Go on, pit, give me your next pick. Well, judging by what you said, I reckon you have included this guy as well. Um, is the current West Ham manager David Moyes? Oh, I don't have Moyes included. Do you not have Moyes? No, I don't have Moyes included for the because... exact same reason as you know, he's an ever present. I think he's got the third highest number of games managed in the Premier League behind Ferguson and Wenger. He's also got the third highest amount of wins in the Premier League behind Ferguson and Wenger. He took Everton to an FA Cup final, um, had one season where Everton. For like the first time in, in a generation, they finished above Liverpool in 2004, 2005, which is absolute bragging rights on Merseyside. Had a little bit of time where his reputation was slightly diminished, obviously for United, but he was forever touted up as the successor to Ferguson. Obviously, it clearly didn't work out, but I think United were very much through a transition phase at that point of just trying to figure out what the hell they were doing as a football club. And they still... Uh, to some degree, still trying to figure it out right now. Um, and so, has then taken West Ham to their highest ever finish in the Premier League and two European seasons where the first one last year was their first time in a major European competition. 
So the reason I haven't included Moyes is I think his best is still to come. And I, 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 I say that. Ooh. I say that purely on the basis that one thing Moyes lacks is a trophy. I don't and, disagree. And I think if we keep him and we win the Conference League, he has won something. And then I'd be so invested in him as a... Don't get me wrong. I think he probably does deserve it. I just think because he's currently current, and that's maybe the reason why I overlooked yeah. him more than anything. But 100%, what he did at Everton, that longevity, like challenging for European positions... Right, because that's him, and then Villa had Mar- uh, had um, Martin O'Neill. Martin O'Neill. I I love Moyes. I think he plays a certain type of football that will get you points and pretty much will always keep you safe. He'll be able to find. I think his strength in transfers comes from picking unknown players and not spending a huge amount of money. That's where I don't think it's necessarily worked with West Ham this season because we bought in a lot of expensive players. Yeah. While seasons before, like, oh, a cheeky Lingard online, bringing Suchek and Kufau for a combined, like, 20 million. Moneyball. Exactly. So I, I think I, even if he, we, I don't, at this point, I'm still saying I don't think West Ham will get relegated. I really appreciate him. I love what he's done with the club. The success he's given, he's given some of the best nights. I'm just holding out for that European trophy. As much as it's for West Ham, it's so much for Moyes as well. Because I think that kind of does eventually prove to him and to all the doubters of, I have won something. Because you're right. It's all well and good being the third most uh, manager with the third most amount of wins and games in the Premier League. But what does realistically that get you? Apparently, a lot of hate from fans. If he gets a trophy, he can kind of go, I've done it. I am a good manager. And I just I just vibe with David Moyes. And that's yeah. maybe why listeners will probably know I've not jumped on to, even when I'd say 80% of fans have, I've never jumped onto that Moyes out bandwagon. Just because no, I have a real, I have a real effect, I have a real affection for him. Yeah, um, you you, you get managers. You just come in and just sort of like get the club that they're they're sort of managing, and will try their absolute darndest and just act all professionally um, to get where they want their team to be to be playing. And Moyes is that example. Hmm. Um, I think he was poorly treated at United, um, and the fact you know I think Gary Neville pretty much said. As, as soon as, as the decision got made that he was going to get sacked. It's like you don't sack Manchester United managers after like a couple of months in charge. It just it just doesn't go like that. You have to give these managers time. Um so he's obviously gone away. He went to what was it, Real Sociedad. Um yeah, it was for Sociedad a where... season and a bit, I think. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't great. long. Um and then obviously you got the opportunity again to come back into the Premier League for was it Sunderland? Yeah, he was at Sunderland and didn't do a great job there. Was um, that when that was when um, was that? I'm trying to get my timeline correct. Was that when then Allardyce took over to sort of keep them up? Oh, that's a great question. Did David Noyes at Sunderland? Oops. Oh, I can't. I, I honestly can't. I remember. can't remember that sort of timeline. So he was at Sunderland from in sixteen seventeen. 
So how did it all end for him at Sunderland? Um, yeah, they got rel no, so they got relegated under Moyes. Um, so and then pretty much the day, one day after the Premier League, he resigned. Um, so oh okay, yeah, so they got relegated. But once again, that was an absolutely awful, awful. Um, Absolutely awful appointment. Um, oh, he replaced Allardyce. Oh, right. Okay, it's worked out that way, did it? Yeah, so um, he got... Yeah, so Allardyce kept them up in 15-16. I'm just looking at it now. Yeah, Moise I remember then now. Got, Moise then replaced him in 16-17. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I stand by your decision for Moise. I just want more for him. Yeah, I, 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 I do agree with you in the sense that I just think if, if he was to win a trophy, would that would just sort of cement his legacy uh, a little bit. But I mean, realistically, all we're talking about is in Europe, what? Um, you're in the quarterfinal stages now, right? So yeah, that's five games. They've got five games. To, yeah. And... So you can build up a wall sort of like Hollywood now. He's got five games to cement his legacy. Well, it is kind of that way because as you say, like... Tro Trophies are what you build your legacy on. And Allardyce before... didn't win a trophy. You're not wrong. Allardyce didn't. But I don't think Allardyce has ever been touted to reach those big heights uh. like Moyes has. Um, again, again Moyes, just... was, Moyes yeah. was, oh, you will replace Ferguson. And it's... I, I just it like never the really that, worked out for yeah. him, and I feel sorry for him. He obviously had a huge reputation coming from Everton. I obviously we've talked about the United spell. Um, I just I have huge respect for him. The fact that he just constantly tried to just win back some of that reputation and his sort of spell at West Ham, both the first time and the second time, has effectively done that. Yeah. Um, I think I I I know I I do I do see where you're coming from. I, I they. If he was to win that trophy, I think that would just that would firmly sort of cement his place yeah. in Premier League history. So, um, but I, I still see him as like this ever-present manager, and um, his Everton side were one of the not obviously not the best because they didn't go on and win things, but they were, they were always just, competitive. You know, it was one of those great, those good sides that, that the Premier you League never was wanted based to go on. to do good. You never wanted to go to Goodison when they no, had the likes of Tim Cahill, Stephen Pienaar, um Hibber, Baines, Jaggy Elka. Yeah, it was, it was a tough, tough gig. Yeah, um, Howard in goal. Oh, it was. Um, yeah. yeah. So no, I I think Moyes is a great pick. Um, I'll I'll quickly go through my one, and this is more of a historical one, and this is a shout out to those Forest fans. So obviously, Forest fans, when we went when I went to the socials to ask about who they think should get picked, obviously they've had a lot of seasons out of the Premier League rather than in the Premier League, and also yeah. a lot of their success is pre ninety two. I just want to um, put your attention on a Mr. Frank Clark. And that might not mean much to you because he was manager in the Premier League before we were born. Yeah, this isn't... So, exactly. Apologies to Forest fans out there, but it just so, is beyond me at the moment. So, Frank Clark got Forest promoted in 93-94. In their first season in the Premier League, 94-95... They proceeded. They finished third. 
Oh, this this is what we were so, talking about the um the other so week in terms of unbeaten this runs, is, was it? This is Forest's. That was Forest's best ever Premier League finish. The best a promoter team has ever finished tied with Newcastle in 93-94. So yep. literally the season before. And this Forest team have come up in Stats Corner before because this yes. was the Forest team that at the end of the season to finish third... They were they went thirteen games unbeaten. Yeah, remember this now. And then the start of the next season, they went on a, a similarly lengthy run. So I think it was like twenty odd games unbeaten. Yeah, I guess what I should have done for that stuff so was actually look at who the manager was. It would have helped, but it I just think a bit. it's obviously for a great club like Forest had been early nineties, a lot of pressure. Obviously had success in the game in the league before it became the Premier League. I just think that sort of, I, I think Forest should get recognised in a in a Hall of Fame. Obviously, Premier League they haven't got too much going on because they've been in and out and out for large parts. Yeah, I just think Frank Clark probably their most successful Premier League manager. I know that everyone looks at Clough pre Premier League, unbelievably successful. Yeah, had one season in the Premier, but there's nothing to show. Yeah, him about. exactly. Well, I just think that sort of promotion and finishing that higher up. Is an unbelievable, unbelievably good effort. That's a great and, achievement, no and I just think that sort of thing should get recognised uh, because, yeah. let's be honest, it's not going to really happen again. No, no I think that's, I think that's a fair shout. Um, my final one, um, and you mentioned the fact that you know managers not from like other fourteen clubs not necessarily winning titles. Um, my final shout would be Kenny Dalglish. Because he was the manager of Blackburn when they won it in ninety four ninety five, um, and then season after, I think with Newcastle got them up to a second place finish. I think Dalgleish is a really good pick. I suppose the reason I overlooked him was because of his such strong link that that to, also... to Liverpool. But his managerial sort of experience with Liverpool was more of a player manager sort of type role. So I would more include him in sort of like the the player oh. side of it. And that was definitely pre pre Prem yeah. as yeah. well. Yeah, and um, uh, his Premier League achievements for hundred percent are purely with his win, um, winning the title in Blackburn, like last day of the season, 94-95. Had to do that at Anfield, by the way. Um, so it was just some sort of yeah, nice sort of um circle there um and then yeah was aided also with one of the best strike partnerships there's ever been in the premier league with sutton shearer sas sas the original sas yeah um and then obviously got newcastle up to a second place finish the year before um i just i just don't think that yeah he's got league obviously league cup success with liverpool in 2012 but that was a very sort of sketchy performance against the championship Cardiff side at that time. Um, I think but, maybe the biggest win for that second Liverpool spell was uh, signing Luis Suarez. Oh yeah, I mean, and and taking away um, from the horrors that were Roy Hodgson, where Hodgson was basically saying that Liverpool are relegation fodder at this point. Um, never ever forget that. Um, but yeah, just sort of challenge that juggernaut, that United juggernaut at the beginning of the Premier League sort of era that it sort of obviously eventually became. Um, and then that just sort of rival between Ferguson and Dalglish that has ever sort of ever been. Um, after that, 
Um, I just think for the exact same reason that Claudio Ranieri is in my list for Premier League sort of Hall of Fame managers, I think Kenny has to be in there exactly the same for the same reason. You know, yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think we've got to recognise the um, recognised Premier League champions. So obviously, being a member of the other forty back then, it wasn't a thing. There wasn't this oh, great divide. No, exactly. I think for Blackburn to be some something to hold on to when they came to the London Stadium. Um, Let's not forget in, in the, get the, other week. the season after. Yeah, Blackburn were chanting, um, Champions of England, you'll never sing that, which is yeah. something for them to hold on to. And they've been through some pretty rotten times. Yeah. So I think, yeah, they did spend a good amount of money to bring in that strike force of SAS, but they were an absolute great side. And yeah, winning, winning a title and particularly stealing it away from Manchester United, stealing it away from Fergie, I think, yeah, that's well and truly a deserved um, place in the other 14 Hall of Fame. So, Tom, we have this week a listener question. This has... Uh, this has we do. And this has come from uh, a long-time listener, George, from Australia. Boys, Today. I need some help. My housemate is a big Villa fan, and I've said that I don't think Martinez is world-class level. And now he won't let me drop it. Basically, he comes home every day and brings it up again. I've already argued it from every side with stats, but figured you'd be best placed for some backup strategies. So, George, we're always willing to help, but we do stand on the right side of truth here on the other 14 podcasts. And obviously all our opinions are fact and correct. So, so Tom, Amy Martinez, world-class goalkeeper, yes or no? No. And purely on the fact, yeah. Look, he's a, he's a good he's a good keeper, and I'd imagine you might be on the similar sort of ilk as myself. Um, he's a good keeper, good shot stopper, um, a solid pair of hands between the sticks. He's just not world class. I I really really hate the overuse of the word world class because it is so overused in football nowadays um obviously yes has got a world cup winners medal behind him yes and he's currently the the best keeper according to fifa um is well, that you know, some other oh i suppose he won the golden glove well, didn't he yeah he's 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 got he's got the he's got this is really difficult to say, and I wish FIFA would have changed the name of this bloody award, but he is FIFA's goalkeeper, the best, or whatever the hell you would want to say it. Um, he's the current holder of that award. Um, but I think that's obviously purely down to his sort of um his obviously achievements in, in the World Cup, obviously with the, the penalty saves, um, and how he performed in general during that that final and that entire tournament. Um, no doubt he had a tremendous tournament, but one tournament doesn't make you world class. No, you look at world class players, and they're a player or keeper or whatever who, time and time again, either pulls you from the depths of despair, produces magical moments, is constantly involved in the game, and does it on such a consistent basis throughout the season and in the big games. Um, Amy Martinez to have one tournament and one. Big game. I don't. I'll, think I'll give him a second tournament as a world class keeper. I'll give him the second tournament because they did win the Copa America with him as well, and he was instrumental did, in yeah. that yeah. in that penalty shoot 
yeah. uh, win. I think for me with Emi Martinez is I think he is a very, very good goalkeeper. I think what maybe creates a level of inflation around his ability is firstly, obviously he has won the World Cup. Very good. Like great, great keeper for that. But would would Argentina have lost that? Well, would Argentina have not won that had he been not been in the goal? I think you could have put there's other keepers that would have been able to be just as good in that side because Argentina didn't win the World Cup because they were really tight defensively. They ran on ma- messy magic pretty much, and their attacking line was really good. Um, yeah, because McAllister uh, had sort of moments as well yeah. as like the likes of Martinez. Mm. Uh, the other Martinez, obviously not. Yeah, I th- I think the biggest thing for me though is what, I, and I really appreciate him for it. If and I would appreciate it more if I was a Villa fan but not as an opposition is I think one of the things that make people be attracted to him as a player is that he's a massive shithouse. And I think it's the sort of player you love if he's yours, but if he's not yours, you think he's the worst thing in the world. Um, I Sergio Ramos. Exactly. Like I do appreciate the element of dark arts. When he went and won that golden glove, whatever it is of the world cup, when he, held it as if it was a giant five-fingered Okay, for that celebration alone, okay, he might slightly be world-class. I just think if you're turning around and saying, oh, he's the best goalkeeper in the world because he's won a World Cup, I think you've then got to include in the world-class category Fabian Barthez, which I don't think you can consider to be world-class. Very good goalkeeper at his time, but also not world-class. Um, yeah, so... went, went through a spell of maybe a couple of years where he was, you know, not one of the obviously the top names, but was sort of yeah. highly touted. Uh, and I think the main reason then for me is what also doesn't make him world class, very good, but not world class, is I think if you were to turn around and say, of all the keepers in the league, in the Premier League, how would you rank them right now? He, for me, doesn't make... Or he would maybe just about make the top five. And I think you can't turn around and say that a quarter of you a quarter of Premier League goalkeepers are world-class. Because I would no. say, above him in the league, no, in the, terms of ability... Only... Yeah. I would say better than him, and who I would rather have in goal... Edison, Allison, Pope, and then Ramsdale. Yep. I would all prefer in goal over Emmy Martinez. And I don't think you could then turn around and go, you've got a quarter of the league's goalkeepers are world class. I think that's just no, a bad I, I, I put him on a sort of a, a similar sort of level plinth as the likes of Jordan Pitford. But I think realistically the only two world class keepers in well, mm. there's only the only world class keepers in the Premier League are the top two that you've mentioned there. Alison and Edison. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of very good goals. They do it on such consistent basis. I think the likes of you look at the game yesterday, um, I think Ramsdale came out with some absolutely fantastic saves. Ramsdale, some of his saves were just really good. So frustrating as a Liverpool fan. I think he has the potential to be a world-class keeper. I just think if you're looking at that world-class category right now, if you're not best in the world, I don't think you quite make it. And 
I don't consider yeah. Emmy Martinez to be the best goalkeeper in the world. And also in the nicest way possible, no. if you're the best player in the world for your position, you don't play for Aston Villa. No. That's I, brutal. I, I, I but I bet that. that's like because realistically, if he was really that good, he would he would have been signed by someone else. And it's not like, oh, he's won yeah. the World Cup, suddenly he's amazing. He had a great season last season. He'd won the Copa America. Um, but there was no real there wasn't really that much interest. In the summer, you never know. Someone might one of the big dogs across Europe might go, Oh, we need a goalkeeper. Emmy Martinez is world class. We want him. But I just don't think that if he's, think... and if he if he view, if he view, yeah. If he views himself like that, then surely yes, he's got a contract with the Villa until twenty seven, but surely he'll then try and push a move through. Yeah. Um to a you know, especially especially if Villa don't make any sort of European football this year. Um obviously I don't think they'll get the Champions League. Um but I think there's a strong you know, based does on their Martinez want to be based on their form, I think they can make definitely Europa League or Conference League. I think they'd probably have one of those positions in the bag um, and yeah. they've been playing really well they're, under they're, Emery. they're definitely in that sort of competition hmm. uh they're sort of like that but yeah that sort of uh that running they're definitely in that um yeah i i just don't i don't see i just don't see him in the same bracket as the other the other guys that i've mentioned already and the fact that i just i don't like these sort of fifa and uefa awards where you know the ballon d'or or the or the best the fifa best competition you know it, it's looking at sort of heavily favored sort of Obviously, those sort of organisation-run competitions, um, you know, and you don't call a player the best in the world for that year purely just on however many games it is that you play in the World Cup, which is what, like, in total, let's go, what, um, eight. three in the groups and then the eight in, let's say eight yeah. off the top of my head. Yeah. You don't become the best player because of eight games. And then plus what you do with your club, which, to be fair, he had an okay, he's had, yeah, an okay season and a good season with Villa. But that doesn't make you the best player in the world in your position. No, absolutely. And I think if you turn around and go, well, Argentina won the World Cup, so their left back must be the best left yeah. back in the world. That just doesn't play. Yeah. Oh, their centre. Well, because yeah. by that logic, you're turning around and saying Romero, mm. the Spurs centre back, is the one of the best. Set, well, is a world class centre back. And to be honest, I think everyone, yeah. even Spurs fans, would disagree with that one. So I don't get wrong. Yeah, and if you're very, like very good his, goalkeeper on his base. Sorry, go on. Sorry, very good goalkeeper, not world class. No, and if you're doing it on the basis of say like penalty saves, for example, because that's one of the big sort of arguments for Emi Martinez, um, statistically wise in the Premier League, he's saved four of his 18 penalties faced in the Premier League. And going back to a stats corner I did earlier on in the season, Dean Henderson has the same number of saved saves made in the Premier League, but from seven penalties. Yeah, so so his conversion rate is better than Emi Martinez. Oh, so Dean Henderson's you don't class Dean Henderson as well class, do you? Yeah, exactly. Well, clearly according to the, whoever this guy is. So, uh, George, thank you very much for the question. Um, and we do have to agree with you. Emmy Martinez, very good, not world-class. So, Tom, this week we have... Well, last week we were absolutely spoiled for choice. This week... A plethora. This week we've got some good ones. In this week's Goal of yep. the Week. Goal of the Week. So, Tom, definitely some good goals this week in the Premier League. I've got about a short list of about four goals. I assume yours is quite similar. 
Yeah, I've gone. I've got six that have um, popped out. I think I had eleven last week, so it's definitely still some quality goals this week, but not on the same sort of quantity as we obviously had last week. Um, so it's kicking things off then. Um, no place to start other than um, the three o'clock kickoff at uh, at Molyneux. Nunes against Chelsea. That outrageous volley um, from I think it was a clearance from Kudabali that just sort of went to sort of like the edge of the box and. Just first time volley from uh, Mateus Nunes. Outrageous finish past Kepa. Really, really strong volley. Um, then moving on, I've got. Uh, I sorry, just a quick one. Renford. Sorry, just a quick one. We've not mentioned it. Uh, it's the first time we've mentioned that Wolves um, Wolves Chelsea game. Um, we have other four. No other fourteen alumni. Frank Lampard. What weird appointment that seems to have been. Um, weird, but obviously that's they're not Chelsea. Yeah. Ch- <laughs> God knows what they're up to, but uh, interesting to see that Frank's uh, gone from Everton and somehow wound up at Chelsea again. Wound up at Chelsea? Yeah, I don't know. So weird. Anyway, uh, but yeah, anyway, great goal from uh, great goal from Wolves in that game. Yeah, and deserve three points out of that. Um, then I've got, yeah, Isaks against Brentford. Wilson and him combining well, obviously going to show that you can combine two strikers together. Um, Wilson lays the pass onto Isak and then just picks his spot and then just powers it home. Bring uh, back the four four two. Love the four four two. Then we go to the evening kickoff on that Saturday. Um, it is a losing effort goal, so we won't be winning this week's goal of the week. But uh, Mara's against City in that four one hammering that they suffered. It, it's like Mara gets the goal, but I think like <laughs> half of the goal should be given to Gineppo. Yeah, <laughs> half Just I think the is outrageous being of the assist. Yeah. I think yeah. Um, it's the sort of thing where you get a team goal, but it gets awarded to one person. No. Um, Gineppo did all the work cutting in from that left-hand side. We've yeah. threw about three or four City players, yeah. rolled it across to Mara, who um, I think is his first goal for Southampton in the Premier League, maybe, or second yes. goal. He's not I think it might be second if um, he has scored. But in terms of quality of the assist, it's the assist of the week. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And yeah, he just in all fairness, he still had to beat Edison from it, the, and beat his man. But yeah, still that it was all about Gineppo's work there. It's, it sort of reminds me from um, a goal that it was in that Dirk Cal hat trick against Manchester United, like way way back. Um, and Luis Suarez is running on from the byline, just dipping past left, right, and centre. United defenders just laying them on their back, and then literally just rolls it past De Gea. And then there's there's Dirk Cal to literally just tap it in from like a yard. World-class finish, world-class well, finish. Yeah. Okay, so Mara's was in a losing game. How about another winner? Uh, I've got Andre Ayus against Leeds. Uh, pretty, pretty much, because I've also got Patrick Bamford's in here as well, because um, they're very two of the same sort of ilk, you know, two powerful, strong headers. Um, this Ayu goal, though, lovely little cross from Elise, the first of his three assists for that game, I'll have a, you know. A hat-trick of assists, that's pretty special. For a that. hat-trick of assists. Elise just had an absolute blinder in that game. Um, and then, yeah, Ayu's first powerful header. They did score another in that game, um, which was sort of like a, a weird one where it sort of looked, as like, oh, he must be offside. And there's no way he's not on. He's, he's not offside. Still a great there. finish for the lad. Like, right in mind, like the keeper came running up. Oh, composure, which is... Christensen on the left-hand side was playing him on and he just... Yeah, just The composure from him was great. Yeah, lovely little composed finish to make it five. And I was like, well, lads, you've just gone 5-1 up. You know, do a little bit of celebrating. It's not every day that Palace score five. Um, But yeah, lovely little uh, little header there. And then 
I've got another one from that game. Um, Odison Edwards against Leeds as well, made it making it 4-1. Lovely sort of counter-attack. Palace worked the overload well. And then Edward just on working the angle well, just a powerful finish past Melier, um to just compound uh, Leeds' misery. Um, I thought it was a, a tremendous little finish there. Yeah, I um, I agree with you. They are a selection of very good goals. For me, there's only one that really stands out though as yeah, the goal. Yeah, there's of the only league. one that stands out for me, and I think we're both sort of in the same line of thinking. Indeed, Nunes, well done for winning the sweet goal of the week. Absolutely, um, fantastic volley. <laughs> Just and uh, suppose it's worth celebrating another scalp from it's, the. It's, um, it's, yeah. Another it's big those... six scalp taken, isn't it? But exactly. it seems that um, Chelsea are just giving them away at the moment because they are dreadful. Yeah, so, it's, um... it's one of those volleys where you literally just say, Abbott. <laughs> it was, put on Peter yeah. K, isn't it? Abbott, yeah. and get some orange slices afterwards. Yeah. But no, uh, great. Uh, well done, Wolves, and well done, Nunez, for that. And now it's time for our Fab Four contest, the competition. We have to. <laughs> we do. The competition that pitches our score prediction skills against one another. Um, Tom, I have to say it's been back to back great performances from me. I've I can I've done what Bournemouth have not been able to do, and um, I've been delivering points on points back to back. Um, yeah. To be honest, I had completely forgotten everything that I predicted up what until this morning when I went and had a look. I saw. Um, I, to be fair, I saw I saw the Brentford Newcastle result. Um, and then I had a quick look last last night off oh, before, and I just saw yours, and it just it just killed me. So to run through the results, um, we were both obviously absolutely correct in that we did not think Forrest would get anything from the game at Villa. Um, you put three nil, I put three one, two nil Villa, quite a comfortable win for them on the whole. Yeah. Um, another one for Villa on their mad run now in sixth place. Then Brentford Newcastle. Um, understandably, you thought it was a tight game. If Tony had scored that penalty, it would have been a draw. But yeah. um, two-one, obviously Newcastle on a great run of form. They picked up that result against Manu, the result against West Ham, and now against Brentford. Um, so fantastic point, uh, fantastic three points for them, and three points for me for correcting that, uh, for predicting that exactly right. Um, then Leicester Bournemouth. We did think that Leicester were going to have a little bit of a bounce. We think we have hope that I think some... you should be deducted at least some points there for going for three nil. In all, fa- <laughs> it, I, I, I was being optimistic. Um, I was I was being hopeful for Leicester. I like Leicester, um, but obviously Bournemouth just again they just they scrap somehow they, they just scrap. scrap and get points. Um, so a one nil win, another win for Gary O'Neill's men. When everyone thinks they just whenever you think Bournemouth are done, they always pick up a result. They're, they're now like sitting, the Wigan of the modern age. They're now three points clear of the uh, of the drop zone, and that's probably taking everyone by some surprise. Um, and then finally, Leeds versus Palace. I mean, um, we had did anyone not... got this right? I think you just win the competition outright. Yeah, that is. I did not have this down five one Palace. Yeah, unbelievable result for Palace. Six goals in that game. In all fairness, we both thought there'd be a fair amount of goals. We put that for there to be um, yeah. five goals. Um, but yeah, a great result from Palace there. You put three two leads. I went three two Palace, and the Roy train continues to steam on ahead at full speed. So with that, I got 
five points for my predictions, while you got just the lonely one point. So that puts me on 49 points, almost at my half century, while you are now seven points behind on 42. Yeah, I need to turn it around. Um, Before we go to predict our next couple of fixtures, Tom, can you tell us what games we have to look forward to in the upcoming game week? So for this upcoming game week, we can look forward to an early lunchtime kickoff on the Saturday that has Aston Villa going up against Newcastle in the James Milner derby. We have the starts of the three o'clock. We've got Southampton against Crystal Palace. We have Everton against Fulham. Tottenham play host to Bournemouth. Wolves go up against Brentford. And then it's the Grand Potter derby, Chelsea versus Brighton, where Grand Potter is no longer involved. And then the evening kickoff sees Manchester City go. <laughs> Is that brutal? <laughs> no, it just really tickled me. That was really funny. I like that. Um, and then the evening kickoff on the Saturday is the tale of the two cities. It's Manchester against Leicester. And then Super Sunday sees West Ham go up against Arsenal. And then it's Forest playing host to Manchester United. And then the Monday night football sees Liverpool try and get some revenge over Leeds this time round. It's Leeds against Liverpool. Thank you very much for those pictures. Um, obviously, six six games where the other 14 are up against the so-called big six. Um, and to be honest, there's only really one relegation battle in there with a lot those bottom nine all being split up, which makes it a very interesting game week. Mm. So our first game to predict, Tom, as you said, it's the James Milner derby with Aston. But saying that, that's for half the league. Leeds, there's also, yeah, there's also Leeds, Liverpool, Leeds Liverpool, which is the day yeah. Aston Milner derby this week as well. Uh, yeah, how, how many how many fixtures can we name like for one player having a derby? Oh, it's got to be the Anelka derby or Craig yeah. Bellamy. They yeah. they loved a runner. They love going all over the place. So, um, okay, Villa v Newcastle. Two teams on great form. This is difficult. Genuinely, it's a really exciting game. I don't think both teams have both been in such a positive position in such a long time. Newcastle, five from five. Villa, four from five. Will they both continue their unbeaten streak? Or, I don't know. It's really exciting. What what, what are you going to go for? Because... Newcastle were a little. I mean, Newcastle did play well at the weekend. There's not, and they obviously did pick up the points against a very strong Brentford side. But I think Villa are just that's they're definitely at the crest of a very big wave at the moment. Um, and I think they are playing fantastically well. And, and Ollie Watkins is a man who's in tremendous form right now, like outrageous the sort of level of um, sort of skills he's at right now. Um, so going down that route, it's, it's such a difficult game to predict, but. I need to start making some big, bold moves in this, I think. Okay. I'm not looking at what might happen. I think I need to, what I want to happen. Okay. And what you might not go for. So I'm going to go for a Villa win. And by how many? I think it will be a very sketchy affair. I think it will be 2-1 Villa. Oh, it's it's certainly a game of football, isn't it? It's a really It is a game of football. That is absolutely Um, true. Oh, and to think Newcastle's current away form has been pretty good. Beat Newcastle, uh, beat Brentford, beat West Ham, beat Forest as all part of this five-game winning streak. 
Villa, obviously. I am. I think going... that might be the game that Newcastle might just slip up in once during this run towards the end of the season. I think both teams are going to continue their unbeaten run. It's going to be a two-two draw. Because I think Newcastle have had a fair amount of draws this season. Yeah. So, yeah, they've had 11 draws this season, which is, apart from Brentford, the highest in the league. So, yeah, I think that's where that will go. And then Southampton v Palace. Um, Well, I'm going to jump in early. I'm going to say it's going to be 3-1 to Palace. I don't think you're wrong. Um, I will go for a 2-0 Palace. And then... If that's that result, I think Southampton could be could be gone. I think that I think they're down. I, I think they are now, but I just there's nothing that Southampton do that fills me. With nothing that hope. thrills me at the moment. Southampton, and then Everton v Fulham, the Andrew Johnson derby. One once, once again, could be a number of fixtures if you get yep. Palace involved. Um, one nil Everton. Yeah, Fulham on the beach and classic Deutsch ball. True, but Fulham, you think they're going to go five in a row unbeaten? Uh, five five losses in a row, rather? Why not? Oh. Everton need the points more than they do. I think this could be a little bit of cheeky banana skin for Everton. Okay, so you've gone 1-0 Everton. Why not? I'm going to go for 2-0 Everton then. Okay, so you don't think it's going to be the banana I, skin? I don't know. It's a really hard one to predict. Yeah. Um, I suppose for me also looking at its damage limitation, right? So I'm seven points yeah. ahead. If I go for the same team going to win as you, if you get the score cor- correct, I only drop two yeah. points on you rather than uh, yeah. rather than three. And then Wolves v Brentford. Uh, Wolves, a team that whose form has turned around a little bit. Um, it's, a bit it's, it's a win up here and down, and there, up and down, up and down. Yeah, it's, Brentford, it's consistently inconsistent. Well, Brentford are probably on their worst run. It's three um, games uh, without, without a win, isn't it? It's four games without a win now in the league. Oh. Mm. With oh, yeah, their that last, was the, that's the game, wasn't it? With yeah, their last result um, coming at home, uh, going away at Southampton. Um, I'm going to go for a Brentford three 0 win because I think Wolves, Wolves are too inconsistent for me to put any weight into. Yeah. I, 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 I expect Brentford to get. The points in this game, I just don't think. I think Wolves will make it a little bit more of a tighter game than than a three 0 for example. Um, I think two one Brentford. Two one Brentford. Well, we'll see how all of those games play out in this upcoming game week. And with that, that brings us to the end of episode 28 of the Other 14 podcast. Tom, thank you very much for joining me on this week's episode. You're welcome. And thank you to everyone for downloading and listening to this week's pod. Please subscribe and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Also, do recommend us to your friends, family and other 14 fans. So it's a goodbye from me. 
And it's a goodbye from me. And we'll see you next week on the Other 14 podcast. <laughs>